0: From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, treating acute retinal necrosis with oral medication.
1: You know, the range varies. It could, it could, be, it could happen in kids, it could happen in the elderly, it could happen in young adults. But as a rule, they don't have anything like HIV or leukemias, anything that would severely suppress the immune system. Uh, as, a, as a rule, they're kind of a healthy bunch of people.
0: First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Eisman declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Did you know that you can get every episode of a Seen From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing, and It's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. Acute retinal necrosis is an uncommon manifestation of herpetic eye disease. The pathology produces large areas of retinal necrosis and results in serious vision loss. The standard treatment consists initially of intravenous antivirals every eight hours. Now, this treatment paradigm is being challenged. To explain this to us, I have as my guest today, Alex Eisman, who has just published results of a study of oral antivirals for the treatment of acute retinal necrosis. What is ARN?
1: ARN is acute retinal necrosis. It's an infectious, uh, necrotizing retinitis, most commonly caused by herpes viruses such as herpes simplex virus, herpes zoster virus, or cytomegalovirus.
0: And what does ARN look like on examination?
1: On examination—it's um, actually the American Uveitis Society came up with this uh, definition. Uh, there has to be a triad of uh, vitritis, retinal vasculitis, and peripheral necrotizing retinitis. And when, you, when uh, the retinitis looks like spa- it looks like uh, uh, typically yellowish-white full thickness, you know um, lesions that start out peripherally and they kind of grow around confluently for 360 degrees peripherally until they start to invade towards the posterior pole. So when you look at it, it's, like a, it's sort of like a cotton wool spot, except it's one giant cotton wool spot. You know, it's just these giant cotton wool spots in the periphery that tend to be a little more flatter than a cotton wool spot and, and, and more kind of, you know, yellowish-white.
0: And is ARN typically unilateral?
1: Uh, Actually, it depends on the series. It typically is unilateral, but oftentimes, you know, 40%, 50% of the time, sometimes more, it could be bilateral. In fact, if it's not treated, it could be bilateral in up to 75% of patients.
0: When ARN was first described, was it understood to have a viral etiology?
1: No, it wasn't. Initially, it was described by the Japanese in 19, in the early 70s, and it was called, I, I, forget, I mean, there's a Japanese name. Unfortunately, it escapes me right now. It wasn't, nobody knew what caused it. And then about 10, 13 years later, in the mid-80s, Culbertson isolated the herpes simplex and zoster particles from the uh, retinal tissue infected with you know, from the ARN patients, and that's when they realized the viral etiology of ARN, specifically the herpes virus.
0: What goes on histopathologically in ARN?
1: Histopathologically, you have infection. It's it's a full thickness, necrotizing retinitis, so you have infection of uh, retinal cells by herpes viruses with a subsequent necrosis and uh, invasion by lymphocytes into the retinal tissues.
0: Are there patients who are at particularly high risk for developing ARN?
1: Actually, no. And, and as, as a rule, ARN patients tend not to have any uh, serious immu- you know, immune suppression or other diseases. Um, as a rule, they tend to be, you know, the range varies. It could, it, could be, it could happen in kids, it could happen in the elderly, it could happen in young adults. But as a rule, they don't have anything like HIV or leukemias, anything that would severely suppress the immune system. So, uh, the, as a, as a rule, they're kind of a healthy bunch of people.
0: There are central nervous system associations with Arn, right? Uh,
1: well, oftentimes it presents primarily without. In other words, the people don't have to have any kind of, zoster, or shingles, or anything like that, or any, CNS, um, like vasculitis or meningitis. Oftentimes, it just presents in the eye.
0: But when there are central nervous system findings, what are they typically?
1: Typically, in my experience, they they tend not to have a lot of central nervous system findings. Um, in fact, they typically start to develop central nervous system findings when they're treated, uh, especially with intrave- you know the what used to be and still is uh, standard of care, which would be intravenous acyclovir. That's when they t- tend to get delirium, ataxias, headaches, and stuff like that.
0: Let me have you flesh out just a little bit more the standard therapy for ARN. What is standard therapy?
1: Well, um, it, it, you know, it, traditionally, basically, Mark Blumenkrantz in the mid-80s, mid-80s, uh, wrote this paper where it was for the first time they've treated a group of patients with ARN with intravenous acyclovir. And um, that did two things. It shortened the... Uh, duration of infection, and more importantly, it reduced the risk of bilaterality by about 50% or more. So the risk went from 75% to about maybe 10, 15%. And so it kind of became the standard of therapy. The standard of therapy was intravenous acyclovir, uh, 1500 milligrams per square meter per day for about seven to 10 days, and then they were put on oral Zovirax for some time, but nobody really knew or still doesn't know how long should they be treated for. And then later, in the the early 90s, people started, um, or maybe in the late 90s, started to experiment with intravitreal injections. Um, And then even afterwards, when Valtrex and Femvir came to market, uh, people started experimenting with that, and then it kind of evolved from intravenous acyclovir to a combination therapy of oral with intravitreal injections. So they would be placed on oral valtrex, and then supplemented with intravitreal injection of foscarnet, for example, or or uh, ganyclovir, and and then it's still evolving. You know, there were isolated case reports a couple years ago, like one or two cases where arn was successfully treated with oral therapy alone and, uh, you know, I had the pleasure of being part of that large, the largest series so far of 10 eyes where they were all treated with oral therapy alone and resolved very nicely.
0: In the past when patients have been put on oral therapy as monotherapy, acyclovir has not been the medication of choice. Can you tell me why that is?
1: Uh, Because of its uh, bioavailability you don't get enough plasma levels to be, you know, uh, virocidal, um, in the, or virustatic in the blood. So, um, that's why it was used as an intravenous treatment. Whereas, uh, by comparison, Valtrex or Fanvir, they're modified, they're prodrugs, and they bypass the liver, or the way they're absorbed and metabolized, I should say, by the body, is a little bit different, which allows to build far higher levels of acyclovir. It still becomes acyclovir in the blood, except now you have much higher concentrations of, of acyclovir. And so that's the advantage of of of, of these newer medications like Veltrex and, and Femvir.
0: Can I have you describe the design of your study?
1: Sure. It basically was uh, a retrospective study. Um, initially, um, there were a couple of patients, you know, Before I came on board, there were a couple of patients who were treated with uh, Valtrex alone, uh, With a couple of patients with ARN who were treated with Valtrex alone and um, had a very good response uh, to it. Uh, And then uh, during my fellowship, I had the, uh, I guess, the luck, the opportunity to see de novo uh, eight more patients, you know, and so that made it for, and they were given an option, all these people basically, we're told that, you know, there is no such thing as standard of care per se. We could try intravenous, but there are downsides of it. You know, have to be in the hospital for seven days and so forth. And what's more importantly, when you look at the dosage, when you take one gram of Altrex three times a day, it approximates intravenous levels. Uh, It approximates the same levels of isocular that would be given intravenously. So... Based on that rationale, they were given a choice, and um, they were placed on oral valtrex of famvir, um, and were followed very closely. And uh, within three to four days, you know, we noticed um, early resolution, containment, and resolution of retinitis. And within two to four weeks, you know, the retinitis has had resolved completely in all eyes. There was not a single. Um, failure on that therapy. So we basically looked back and, uh, you know, analyzed the vision, the uh, uh, anatomic response, and so forth.
0: What was the length of the therapy, and what was the dosing for the Valtrex or for the Famvir over the duration of the therapy?
1: Um, We gave them standard doses. Well, standard, you know, uh, for Valtrex, for example, it was one gram TID, whereas for FAMVIR, it was 500 milligrams TID. And um, based on the literature, for example, one gram TID approximates intravenous levels that would be given, you know, to a patient with iron, for example. So that's how we kind of arrived at that um, dosage. But some people have suggested giving, you know, higher levels of Valtrex, for example, up to two grams four times a day, which would be even higher than intravenous and they have theorized that it would be even better and the length of treatment was pretty much for the first three, for, certainly until the resolution complete resolution of the disease process they, they, they've they remained on either one gram for Valtrex one gram TID or for Femvir 500 milligrams TID for three months and then regard you know and then, for the next three months, they were slowly tapered um, off of uh, these medications.
0: Were there any adverse events that you observed?
1: Not, nothing, nothing severe. Uh, in actually, as a rule, valtrex and famvir are very well tolerated by the majority of people, and that the doses that were prescribed, there were practically none. Occasionally, people have complained of some headaches, and maybe there was a case of uh, GI upset, which is uh, well recognized. You know, side effect of Valtrex therapy. Um, in the large studies of volunteers who were given Valtrex or, or Enfuvirtide, uh, the most common side effects, which were found in up to 20% of pay, uh, up to 20% of volunteers, were headache and uh, GI discomfort. So nobody developed, thank God, you know, nobody developed any uh, kidney stones or, or delirium or CNS abnormalities, seizures or bone marrow problems a very well-tolerated, very safe drug.
0: Now, sort of looking more broadly, are there other pathologies that can masquerade as ARN, and what effect would your therapy have had on those pathologies?
1: Right. Um, well, there is, certainly there is, a, there is a large differential for acute retinal necrosis. Oftentimes, there were cases described in literature of cytomegalovirus, CMV, masquerading as acute retinal necrosis with an identical presentation and typically those cases do not respond to Valtrex and Femvir so it's important to maintain a high index of suspicion and uh, in fact the European experience is that people over there tend to actually do an aqueous tap for PCR um, uh, to, in order to fully you know confirm the diagnosis whether in other words whether it's herpes simplex or Zoster or CMV so that would guide their therapy But also, in addition to CMV, uh, toxoplasmosis rarely can masquerade as R. And so instead of presenting as a focal uh, chorioretinitis, retinitis, it can present as these diffuse, flat areas of necrotizing retinitis. And so it's one of those um, also great masquerades. Toxoplasmosis, uh, one also has to maintain a high index of suspicion for syphilis. That can also masquerade as acute retinal necrosis. And then uh, two other disease processes, lymphoma, large cell lymphoma, typically primary intraocular lymphoma, can uh, occasionally masquerade as iron And, and uh, Bichette's disease. Bichette's disease can also present with retinal vasculitis, vitritis, and uh, necrotizing retinitis.
0: What is Well,
1: van it's an oral form- formulation of uh which is... Uh, which is a medication which is more specific to CMV uh, cytomegalovirus. And, uh, again, Cyclovir initially was used in intravenously to treat CMV retinitis. And because of, um, again, it was, in the, you know, because of the fact that people had to be in hospital and sometimes they didn't tolerate it very well with intravenous mode, the uh, pharmaceutical companies have developed this valgancyclovir, which is a prodrug, as well, of gancyclovir that can be taken orally, that um, then builds, you know, higher levels of gancyclovir in the blood, and it, it typically is active against CMV virus as well as herpes and simplex, but uh, because of its more serious side effect and severe side effect profile it is not advised you know it probably doesn't make it it probably is not prudent to use it against acute retinal necrosis but reserve it only for cmv retinitis or cases of acute retinal necrosis that are caused by cmv retinitis or the ones that are not responsive to valtrex or famvir
0: now granted these cases don't come up very often what do you intend to do with the next arn patient who walks into your own practice having learned what, what you've learned from this study
1: Well, um, first of all, I would like to establish that it's indeed acute retinal necrosis uh, caused by either herpes simplex or zoster. So uh, I would rule out the masquerade entities such as syphilis and toxoplasmosis and Bichette's and lymphoma and so forth. I'd consider doing an aqueous tap to confirm by PCR the presence of simplex of vasculitis in the eye, and then it would depend on the location of the lesions. If the RN is still, if if, if it's fairly early in the game and the lesions are still peripheral, I would uh, personally start the patient on on, on uh, Valtrex or Femvir. and I, they're at one gram TID for Valtrex, or maybe even a little bit higher, like two grams TID to really get higher levels of acyclovir in the blood. However, if, if they had lesions that were uh, threatening the macula or the optic nerve, I would probably supplement that therapy with an intravitreal injection of uh, Foscarnet, which is another you know medication to treat herpes viruses,
0: Which was done in one of the patients from the study too.
1: Right, right. In fact, there was a, one patient with bilateral disease who uh, it was actually an interesting situation. He was he he was placed on famvir, and the eye that had lesions that were threatening the macula and the optic nerve, uh, that eye had uh, you know was injected with foscarnet. But again, it's only one case, but it didn't do better <laughs> than the other eye. So who knows? But I still think that if there are lesions that are very close to the optic nerve or the fovea, it would be prudent and probably advisable to supplement oral therapy with an intravitual injection.
0: Would your management of patients, either therapeutically or your aggressiveness to establish a diagnosis, be different if the presentation were bilateral as opposed to unilateral?
1: Um, Not necessarily. I mean, uh, it all depends. You know, if you have a patient who presents with bilateral disease that's peripheral, um, and it satisfies all the Criteria for acute retinal necrosis, you definitely have the time to start the oral therapy alone and watch them very closely. Obviously, you have to impress upon them the need for close follow up, the fact they cannot get lost to follow up. And it depends on the patient. If the patient is unreliable, I would probably admit them to the hospital and put them on intravenous therapy. But if the patient is uh, reliable, then it's not unreasonable to start, again, with an understanding that you're going to follow them closely, because this pro- disease doesn't. It's not like other entities, for example, like porn, progressive outer retinal necrosis, which moves through the retina very quickly. You have a, a few days during which you can monitor uh, this disease and, and look for, um, you know, areas of progression. I would also diagnostically would advise, if possible, obtaining wide-angle uh, photographs, color photographs of of these lesions to, to objectively document the um, progression of, of uh, ARN in the retina.
0: Is there anything that you'd like to add?
1: I think that's important to maintain, to, you know, to maintain a high index of suspicion. I, I've seen two cases where a uh, patient came in to an ophthalmologist with a red eye and um, was diagnosed with anterior uveitis. I don't know if anybody looked in the back of the eye in the retina the patient was started on topical pretforte and psychoplegics, it didn't improve, you know, he didn't improve, so then he underwent at the hands of that ophthalmologist, he underwent a subtenon's injection of steroid, which would be like pouring oil in the fire. And then after the patient didn't improve, he was sent to me where he was subsequently diagnosed with acute retinal necrosis. So I think it's important for you know, general ophthalmologists or so people who don't see RN very often to kind of keep it in the, you know, in a differential and, and, and be cognizant of that. And then also, I would also say that part of the management involves, in my opinion, putting them on oral prednisone because some of the destruction occurs secondary to inflammation and not just infection alone. So once you confirm that the disease has been contained and it's regressing, it's not unreasonable to put them on... Um, you know, on oral prednisone to reduce the inflammatory
0: sequelae. Sasha, thank you very much.
1: My pleasure, Josh.
0: Alexander Eisman is a retina specialist on the retina service at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary in New York, New York. His paper, Treatment of Acute Retinal Necrosis Syndrome with Oral Antiviral Medications, is in press in ophthalmology. questions of Dr. Eisman or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231, in the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275, or Skype Jay Young, MD. Those numbers can be found on our website, as asseenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.